Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. It's finally Friday, August 11th. I'm Stephen Overly. Yesterday, we talked about a petition at the Federal Election Commission trying to ban campaign deepfakes. The agency actually moved it forward. So now, the public has a chance to weigh in. And in New York, the future is robotic police dogs? My political colleagues report the NYPD is deploying the four-legged devices on the streets, and that has privacy advocates worried about unchecked surveillance. And this weekend, there's a big hacker convention in Las Vegas called DEF CON. Tech reporter Mohar Chatterjee will actually be on the ground there, so look out for her stuff. But before taking off for Las Vegas, she also took the mic to do an interview with Austin Carson. Okay, so Austin is the founder and president of this company, Seed AI. This guy's interesting. He's used to lead the D.C. government affairs operation for NVIDIA. He was legislative director for Chairman Michael McCall. Then the executive director for the Technology Freedom Institute. Basically the D.C. trifecta. Government, think tank, industry. So he's like done the rounds here. But now... His company is facilitating sort of like the community access uh, part of democratizing AI, which it's that's a lot of syllables. But I know concretely that um, he's going to be bringing hundreds of community college students to this like giant red teaming exercise in Las Vegas, Nevada. That's actually been endorsed by the White House. And red teaming is basically this exercise where good hackers act like bad ones and attack a computer system to find its flaws. Carson is involved because his nonprofit, Seed AI, tries to bring a wider range of people into these things. Sounds interesting, right? It is. Here's Mohar's conversation with Austin Carson. All right, and we're recording. Austin, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me. So you started your career as a Hill staffer. Tell me about that. How did you fall into AI? Just I've always been the nerd of any office or institution I've ever been part of. And to be honest, the way I fell into tech policy at first is that I wouldn't shut up about it in the back office. And my legislative director at the time was like, I don't like hearing about this. If I give you the issue, do you promise to not talk about it anymore? And so that was the kick. But for artificial intelligence, I mean... The Foundation series being one of my favorite books growing up and also the Ender series, there's really critical, interesting points about AI, right? And the Foundation series is more robot series, sad point. And it's always drawn me to it. So being able to see clearly that we had an actual moving sea change, right? And deep learning hitting, right? Like more sophisticated deep learning hitting than Transformers hitting in like 2017, right? And right before that happened at about 2016, I had started, maybe 2016 Transformers. Anyways, I had started to do kind of more research on it. I want to actually pivot over here to DEF CON, the giant hacking conference happening in the middle of Las Vegas Mm -hmm. um, that you're helping organize. Right. Wanted to talk to you about the White House endorsement Mm -hmm. of this red teaming exercise. That's that's new. That's weird. Um, (laughs) I'm interested in that. Why is the White House backing DEF CON? A number of reasons. And so first of all, I would say the what I would say maybe just for precision is that the White House jointly announced this event with us, 
right? And that they are supporting and participating in this red team along the way and at the event itself. The reason that I believe that they supported it and announced it and so many other entities have in the federal government, you have a number of other entities that are participating in addition to OSDP. On the outside, in addition to the vendors, you have a ton of partners and a ton of other people volunteering their time even just to help the students get around. And we're flying in 200 students, CDAIs, with the support of a few foundations from 12 states, from 17 schools to bring them in, right? Now, at the time, I, don't, I didn't have those tickets booked, so it wasn't like the White House necessarily was riffing off of it. It was more just mad ambition given the circumstances. And I did not in any way understand how significant that would be in the moment. I had just been trying to put together this idea of joint testing and training, which is what the exercise is like, and we can talk more about it. Right. But just because we had made a thing and piloted it in an intentional way, in an inclusive way, and the White House participated in South by as a speaker, had somebody as a speaker and they loved it. They thought it was great. And so whenever I sent the full DEF CON, hey, you want to speak again? They were like, oh, nice. You did take it to the next level. And so we would love to participate. I mean, we're going to have thirty five hundred people, red team generative models. It's the first public red team ever. And I'm not going to lie, we set a hell of a standard for what it's like from here on out. To my knowledge, the last prior red team, which was our largest red team, which was not public, was 111 people, right? We're, we're 30xing that with intentionally flying in 200 folks. And I'm not going to lie, a lot of people in tech industry don't think can meaningfully contribute to this, right? People from community colleges, people from disadvantaged areas and backgrounds, this is a language skill that's predicated on experience. We're about to learn very clearly how much value that folks like that can contribute, which I'm stoked about. Here's a quick question. What has surprised you most about the response you're getting from the White House? Honestly, that they just liked it so much. You don't normally get to whip up a passion project and just have the White House say, oh, okay, we love this crazy thing you're doing. We'd love to co-announce it and support it, right? Like that was surprising. I did not anticipate that. Right. The second thing is they have been like so constructive and involved in all the appropriate ways. And I really appreciate their time on it. What are they curious about? What are they curious about? The, mm -hmm. There is so much to be curious about. And it's the same things as us. I'm like, I couldn't even go out on the list right now and be accurate. There's there is the raw democratization piece. There is seeing if the testing and training thing that worked on a smaller scale will work at a huge scale. There is the legitimate question of what do you find when you have like 100,000 input-output pairs of like prompt and response from every model in aggregate, that many responses, in a contested environment, in a place where people are trying to break it, right? Right now, the data we have is from people getting kicked out as soon as they try something or from a very tiny group of people trying to do these red team exercises. They themselves know that it's impossible for them to cover the risk surface, right? Now, one of the things you'll hear, even though we've been hearing obnoxiously that explainability is going to be here soon for the last six years, right, is that the aggregated input-output data is one of the only ways that you can explain or that you can, do, that you can do some of like the neuron tracing, right? It's the only way that you can aggregate that and say, okay, we can't trace any single thing and really decode what the answers are. But if we have this, you know, 100,000 different ways of assessing the behavior of the thing, we can start to drill down on what parts of the model do which thing and why might these failure modes happen. And to be frank, we don't know an incredible amount, like an obscene amount of things about artificial intelligence, what happens when you put a number of different scenarios together. 
you know, the, some of the prospective scenarios that may be of low incidence but extraordinarily high risk, right? Those are not going to be random things that happen, right? They're going to be they're going to be somehow a, a cascading effect of a number of different actions and behaviors and the way different systems work. You're never going to learn about all those weird quirks except for a massive injection of randomness. So it's like even if you don't necessarily care about democratization, which fortunately I really do, which is why it motivates me, right? Then care about safety, which I do also really care about and motivate it, but just that's critical to this. And then finally, if none of those things care about our ability as a country, as a nation, to develop this technology in a way that is more reasonable, less brittle, and more powerful, honestly, than others will. I'm going to zoom out, if it's possible, from that vision. What surprised you most this year, just straight up total? Okay, so I would say a couple things. I... I was not, I'll start by saying, I was not surprised most by the sudden public explosion of interest in artificial intelligence. It was kind of like when you watch a movie with a bad twist and you're like, oh, okay, that's what happened, you know, Um, which was very interesting. Now, what has been very surprising to me has been the very human reaction to the news by very otherwise intelligent people, right, or like kind of a broad swath of the economy and the country and the media, which interestingly has been somewhat disconnected from people on the ground, but everybody kind of suddenly moved to, oh, it can't pass the MCATs. It's not better than me, you know? Oh, wait, it can't pass the bar and tell me how to do this and give me relationship advice and tell me how to fix my VCR. So people are like weirdly insecure about it. Now the beauty is, I don't know, I had to battle with insecurity for a lot of my life, so I'm kind of prepared for it, you know? And the abstraction of the human experience, it's beautiful. But I think seeing tech CEOs and like I'm on panels and the more technical a person is, the more philosophical they have gotten, right? Like we've gotten to the point where like, okay, we kind of understand tech, but now what, what are people, you know, it's like, it's moved from, is it sentient to like, what the hell, this is all different and confusing. And we have to think about a lot of things involving ourselves. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt here just because this, I actually get excited about this stuff. The thing is, it makes for such a good knowledge indexing. Yes, machine, right? yes. Like this is so much better. What you, this what you were talking about with fuzzy logic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this ability to reach our feelers out across all of humanity's experience. On yes, <laughs> that's at least on the internet, and then yeah, let it let it roll. Let right. it fit it into different things. Like there is immense potential here. But actually. Well, so actually, let me, let me, while you raise a really good point, let me tack onto it. Part of the reason that I am so explicitly bringing in folks that don't get to participate in this and trying to make the entire thing a new form of participation is because we have to capture that fact as much as possible and show where it diverges, right? Places where what's about to be the embedded concept of human existence, right? In uh, the underlying fuzzy layer of things. We got to make sure there's not a bunch of things lingering in there. It's not just about, and it is about, but not just about if people get loans or not. It's about if like the universe responds in a way, the underlying relationship to all technology responds in a way that like mirrors and and respects and reflects their experience, right? And again, take your pick. If you don't care about people's ability to feel that way, which you should, no matter what you care about, 
right? But if you don't care about it, it will reduce the not just the brittleness, but the breadth of our ability to develop AI stuff, right? It's like, holy hell, this is a human philosophical moment. Let's bring the humans in and stop lying to ourselves about being human. Morons, beautiful idiots, yeah. We're going to, on that note, Austin, thanks for joining us on Politico Tech. I just want you to know that I think I am an idiot and I'm beautiful too. All right, thanks for joining us uh, here in this random office that I'm in. But it was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. That's all for Politico Tech this week. To read more of Mohar's interview, check out today's Digital Feature Daily newsletter. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Andy Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you on Monday.